0: How are we doing? It's good to see. You. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the creek. Welcome in our loft. Welcome online. Welcome everybody to the creek. We're so glad you're here. I, I want to start out by giving a huge thank you, and an I'm proud of, to Adam Mullinex for preaching last week, and he did a phenomenal job, and uh, I, I love them. He is He's challenge accepted. We challenged him this year. He said, you have to teach a weekend. And uh, so he knows now the gauntlet's been laid down. So uh, he's gonna have to do it again because I think I got saved. And uh, <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, if I could just take a minute for, to say something to our core families. If you're, if you're a core family, you know who you are. Um, we are getting ready to set the table for our Christmas Eve services. And we, we have six services uh, on that Saturday and Sunday. And we're asking our core to sign up For a block of services, we'll do two Saturday uh, evening, we'll do two Sunday morning, and then two Sunday afternoon. And we're asking our core families to help us out by serving one and attending one. So if you could see us at the Welcome Center, um, and we can get you coordinated with that. But this is an incredible time of the year to set the table, really set the environment for people who. Who don't normally come to church, you know, and they the, they're, they come on Christmas and we get a chance to love on them, uh, set the environment for them to hear the gospel and for God to do an incredible work in their life. And and we see that every every Christmas. We see people that are far from God come in and, and just, a, a, just a holy God reaches out with his grace and pulls them in and brings a new life to them. And we get to celebrate that at Christmas. And uh, with Christmas, let me just kind of let you know kind of what's happening a little bit. Um uh, the, the weekend of December 30th and 31st, uh, we'll actually launch our Focus 2024 series, and we're doing church a little different. Um, you know, some if you're new to the creek, we'll do these weekends where we say we do a church different. So we might do church different, and instead of gather here, we go scatter and we serve in our community. That's called Serve Weekends. We're going to do church a little different uh, that weekend, and we're going to do kind of a family style, and it'll be all online. Um, so your family can gather around, and it's really going to be a message. Message to help you uh, kind of start tracking out some vision for your life and for your family for the year. Uh, we'll update where we're going as a church, but it's really for you to spend time just really introspectively as a family of, of going, okay, God, what do you want from us this year? And uh, so we're, we're just doing that a little bit different. And so it, we're not canceling church, y'all. So don't, don't get, oh, we're, we're not canceling church. We're doing it differently. Okay. Um, and that's the beauty of, that's the beauty of church. If we ever get into that rut of going, well, this is the way we've always done it. You know, we'll ride that train to the the grave. That's where it's, that's where it's going to end up. But in that with, with focus 2024, um, We are going to, we're publishing a devotion guide for you, so we'll have those available uh, leading up to Christmas, and it's a 28-day study guide for you to work through as a family. We are also going to be fasting as a church uh, for those 28 days, and and what 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 Heather and I have decided and what our staff has already decided is we're going to be fasting on Tuesdays, And so we do a staff day up here on Tuesdays, and we will gather up here. And so if you're available, you can come here at noon, and and we're going to pray together. Um, Or if if you can't get here, then just we're asking you to take your lunch hour or your lunch time, and instead of eating food or eating lunch, Let's press into the heart of God and let's pray and seek his face. Okay, we're not doing a a hunger holdout on Jesus. We're like, you know, I'll eat when you give me what I want. But this is is satisfying a spiritual appetite and foregoing a fleshly appetite. And that's what we're going to do as a a church. And we just invite everyone to be a part of that. So we're in a Christmas series and uh, this series we've been, uh, I've been excited about this series uh, for about four and a half months now because we started writing it then and, and uh, where we're going to focus on leading up to Christmas are the prophecies of the Old Testament leading up to the birth of Christ. And we're calling this series Well Planned because, you know, there's times in our life that we kind of look around and go, God, where are you? What are you doing? I mean, we, we watch the news. We see things in our culture. We see things in our society. We see the events in the world, and you're just like, uh, you know, sometimes you can fall into the skeptic mindset of going, "Where is? If there is a God, where is He? Why doesn't He do anything? Why is He allowing all this to happen?" And then, then you can really take that turn and go, "Well, how can God be such a graceful God with all the chaos around us and all the hurt and all the need and all the brokenness?" But God had a well-planned, uh, well-formed plan for our redemption. And for his work of redemptive nature in the world. And we're going to look at those prophecies. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 this weekend. Uh, but I don't know if you're already in that, that hunt for the gift. You know, the perfect gift. I mean, we stress out every year. The per- perfect gift. Got to get the perfect gift. Got to get, you know. And, and, and the perfect gift, just so you know. If you're kind of needing your list type A's. The perfect gift. It, it's going to meet a great need. Okay? And and I'm not... Guys, let me just lay it out. The great need is not a new vacuum cleaner. Okay? Don't do that. I mean, you know, January, we're going to be fasting. I don't want to up our marriage counseling, you know, from You know, like, well, it, the floor needs to be vacuumed, you know? Okay, no, 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 no. Back, it's going to meet a great need, um, and, and the need to be... Not a chore, okay? It's not gonna meet a great chore. So it meets a great need. It's something that comes from the heart. It's something that we've considered based on our relationship with someone and go, I think this is gonna be something incredible for you. I've thought about this, and then it's actually used and And that's how we get to the perfect gift if you're like me i've already started this with Heather, this process, but I do it a little differently. I just say, "Hey, would you just give me your Christmas list? You know what do you want for christmas and and and, and isn't it funny how we just kind of slide into that We just like here's my Christmas list. I mean what do you want for christmas it's on Amazon, right? I created my wish list, and you can sort that by price depending on how much you love me you know and and so so we just kind of we kind of just Throw that to the side and go. I'm just going to work down the list, and, and and the thing is, is I don't ever find myself finding the perfect gift for someone uh, when I just go down the list. And the struggle that we have with that, in, in today, and today, and really just the struggle with humanity, is we want to do that with God. We want to go to God and go, "Here's my list. Give me what I want." And so often, our our the the problem with that. Is, is that as humanity, we're broken. Our needs, our desires, all the things that we kind of steer towards by the nature of our flesh, they're broken. And so we come to God asking for things out of a nature that's not God's nature. And then we get disappointed when God doesn't give us what we want. And the thing is, we've got to look in the, the way God gives a gift is he meets the greatest need. It's something that comes from his heart and it's there for us to use. And I, I'm just gonna go back to show you where the, all of it went, went south and, our, and how our desires got broken and the root cause of, of the issues that we see in the world today. So um, I'm gonna go to Genesis chapter three and, and here we go. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Can I, let me just say, who's the serpent? Because we'll say well, the serpent is Satan. Um, to give you some, some background on Satan, um, Satan... Uh, was a fallen angel he's a created being i mean you go to isaiah chapter 14 and that's going to kind of give us some insight into 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 lucifer is was his name but it says this how you are fallen from heaven old day star son of dawn those are those are names those aren't descriptors. Those, those are his names. How you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan's problem is, is really, it's, it's indicative of even our nature. Because we tend to set ourselves like the most high. We tend to get so focused on ourselves, you know, that that self today is becoming the new God. That it's, it's satisfy yourself, treat yourself, you know, do what feels good for you. If it, you know, you do you. And the problem is it's all centered on the self and our broken desires. Here we see Lucifer, Satan, his desire was to be like the most high, But here's the problem. Here's the result of that. But you were brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? So we we, we see that uh, Satan, Lucifer, had already fallen before we get to this point in the creation account. And so it, you, you see now that, that Satan comes to tempt creation, he comes to tempt Eve, he's fallen. And because he's fallen, he wants to take us with him. Everything that this enemy, that Satan wants to do, is to attack the heart of God. And the way he's going to do that is by, by really perverting his creation and going and trying to get creation to pursue the same thing that he did. I mean, he's not really, he's not really crafty in this sense, I mean, he's incredibly smart because he knows the word. But he's also stupid because he comes at us with the same thing. And I don't know if that says something about my level of intelligence because I tend to fall for the same stuff over and over and over. But it says that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He's starting to question here, did, he not, did, he, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. She adds this and then she changes, it's just lest you die. God said, you will surely die. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What was the the fall of Lucifer, the created angel, the morning star, the day star? It was pride. He wanted to be like God. What is he telling the woman here? And I, I say the woman because she has not yet been named. She'll be named later in this chapter, but what he's telling the woman, what he's telling God's image, because man was created in God's image, and out of man, out of Adam, was created Eve, or the woman, and and he's coming at the image of God, and he's coming at the image of God, the reflection of God, with the same thing that he was pursuing. You will be like God, and what he starts to do, he, he starts out really simple. He starts questioning God's word. Did God really say that? I mean, we've, we fall into that in the scripture because we we get our little coffee cup verses and then we think we build our our whole theology off of that when it's, when it's pulled out of context. And we go, well, God works everything together for good. Well, let's finish that. He works everything together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I can't go on my own purpose and say, well, God's gonna work it out for good. And so we start building it. So the enemy starts questioning God's word. And then he flat out denies God's word. God didn't actually, did God actually say that? Let me question it. No, God didn't say that. And then what he does is he interjects his lies with a he replaces the truth with his lies. No, what he's doing is he attack, he's attacking the character of God. What he's doing is he's leading, leading her to believe that God is holding out on you that you actually have something within your grasp that is better for you than what God has said. The real temptation is to take a hold of your own destiny and your own purpose, and ultimately what he's tempting her with is your own fulfillment, because you'll be like God. He's not denying the existence of God. I mean, in, in our Western culture, I believe the enemy works very hard to, to make us believe that good and evil doesn't really exist and that, that God doesn't exist. And if God doesn't exist, then the devil doesn't exist. And he, he leads us into this track that this, this is all there is in life. When I go into Eastern cultures, I see, I see the overt work of the enemy because he, he's not trying to deny the existence of God. What he's doing is he's actively fighting against a holy God. But he's not telling Eve there is no God because Eve has enough foundation because she's spent time with God. She's experienced God. She has God's word in her heart. She knows that what God said, then she kind of tweaks it a little bit, but she's still coming back with, no, this is what God said. And so he brings on the attack and he starts to substitute his own lies. He's twisting the truth. He's twisting God's character, his love, his plan. Remember, Satan wanted to be like God. We're going to go a lot more into that in February because we're doing a series on the three enemies that we fight and that we face, and that's the devil, Satan, Lucifer. That's the world, and that's the flesh. That's our our brokenness from the result of what happens in this next verse. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Because some people go, well, where was Adam? He was right there. Because she ate it and she gave some to him. And there's a lot of armchair quarterbacking this moment. In history, you know, well, Adam should have stood up. He should have let his wife. Well, the reality is, this is what happened. You know, you got those moments in your life where you look back, I should have done that differently. See, it's easy for us to stand on this side of the fog. Well, that's what he did wrong. I mean, I, I mean, we do that watching football, right? I mean, we watch the replay, and we know exactly what they should have done, right? Like, here we go, <laughs> some of y'all get that some of y'all don't but the ones who get it are the true cowboy fans <laughs> the, it's interesting in this verse 6 cuz that's that's where it was. she took the fruit and she ate and this is the genesis of humanity's greatest issue and from this moment that everything fell that we start to see there's internal issues there's external issues and there's eternal issues I mean, let's take a look at the internal issues. It says, then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They started working it out on their own. Immediately they realized their shame, their guilt, and those are all internal things that lead us to do external things. And now they start working themselves to cover themselves and ultimately what happens, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, so that's another internal issue. We realize the, the, the brokenness of our situation, the guilt, the shame. We try to work to cover it up ourselves. And then we hide from God. And so some of us have spent years hiding from God. And what I find is incredibly beautiful about the love of God and the grace of God is he knew what would had, what would already happened. Yet he still chose to come in. He still chose to come into the garden. And he called out to the man and he said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? God already knew. He's trying to bring Adam. It's like your child, you know, when your child breaks up. You know your child is guilty, but you're asking the train of questions to help them understand the situation. It's not like God was like, oh, I lost out. What happened? You know, I was busy over here. You know, I took the day of rest and then I come back and I'm just trying to fix everything. You know, it's not like God came back from vacation. He's got 800 emails to go through. God knew what was going on. He says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? It's like, yo, ask your kid, did you eat that cookie? Mm-hmm. And you know it. They got, they got the crumbs on it. They got chocolate all over it. You know, I didn't eat that cookie. They're holding part of it behind their back. Then the Lord God said to the woman, who is this? Uh, what is this that you have done? And here's another internal thing. She said, the serpent deceived me. And then, and then, and then, uh, they start the blame game. And that's another thing we do as a result of our fault. That's, that's an internal issue. The shame, the guilt, the working it out ourselves, going, I got to figure this out. I got to fix this. You know, I, I, I've messed this up. And then we start blaming everything. I mean, we, we see that, right? This, it's your fault that I'm like this. It's your fault. I mean, some of y'all are still blaming your parents, Some of y'all are blaming your kids' decisions for where your life is now. Some of y'all are blaming a boss from 15 years ago for why your life is the way it is now. It's a constant result of the fall of man that we're wired to blame everyone else except looking internally and going, where is my responsibility in this? And ultimately, if we're going to make self the God, then there is no blame with the self. Because it becomes everyone else's responsibility for why my life is like this. But God didn't come into the garden and start asking questions about everybody else. Where are you? Where are you? So we have some internal issues here that the innocence was replaced by guilt. They were covering their works, they were hiding, they were self defensive. Adam blamed the woman, the woman blamed the servant. Uh, the serpent, and then we got some external issues. This is what the Lord God said. He said to the serpent... Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So theologically, what we unpack here is that the serpent was a willing participant and yielding to Satan, yielding to Lucifer to be used in this temptation because creation fell at that moment as well. And so he's, he's bringing judgment on creation. And he, he tells the serpent, he's like, you're going to crawl on your belly and eat dust. I don't like snakes, and I see that God doesn't either. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's the prophecy we're going to come back to in a minute. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. An external uh, issue here is the serpent yielded to Satan. It's cursed. Then the woman in pain, pain and childbirth. And look at that relational pain relational conflict he says your desire is going to be for your husband but he's going to lord it over you he's going to try to try to control you and he's going to go chase his own pursuits and you're going to have relational strife because of this 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 fall and then to the man he says he says um Adam had a job to do. He had work before the fall. What's missing is the joy in the work. What you see in this external issue is that the paradise was now turned to wilderness. The joy of the work has now turned to toil and creation is in bondage because of the sin. Now we've got an eternal issue. It says, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, here's the eternal issue. Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take, um, uh, and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore... The Lord God sent him out of the garden. This is an incredible act of grace on God's part. Here's why. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and the, and, and at the east of the garden, he set a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned away every uh, turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is God's grace at work because what he realizes is, okay, now we've sinned, and now there's knowledge of good and evil. They realize there's shame, there's brokenness, there's, they realize they're naked. And then he says, the tree that's going to provide eternal life for them is in the garden. And, and this, th- a lot of people have a hard time understanding God's grace because we think grace is getting what we want. But what God does here is in an, a- an act of grace, he says, I'm not going to let man live forever in that sinful state. So he cast him out of the garden. And the reason he's not going to let man live forever in that sinful state because he has a plan. And that is for the Christ to come into the world. That prophecy, is says, I, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. This is the first gospel declared in the Bible. Because what he's saying is that the woman's offspring, Christ, would ultimately defeat Satan and his offspring. God in this moment is promising the birth of a savior. And you fast forward into the New Testament, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because God in his grace, he's not going to leave us in that broken state. And so often we get frustrated that, God, why aren't you doing this? But notice the beginning of verse 4. It says, in the fullness of time. That's the fullness of God's time. That in the fullness of time, his plan, his well plan of redemption would be enacted. And this is the first gospel. And Adam's response in this first gospel, I just read it. It's verse 20. The man called the wife's name Eve because she's the mother of all living. Now we have a name. And we have a meaning to go with the name. And then look at this. Here's, here's how I, you see the grace of God and his redemption in action. Because it says, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. They had tried to cover themselves out of their own efforts and their own work and their own trying, but what God does in this moment, this is a foreshadowing of the redemption and salvation that comes through Christ, because without the shedding of blood, there can be none of this forgiveness. There can be no reconciliation with a holy God without blood, and in that moment, God is the one who provided the sacrifice. God was the one who sacrificed the animal. It says, the Lord God made for Adam. He didn't say, there's the sacrifice, make you close. He made them for him because that's God in his grace, his love, and his covering for us. And these skins are this picture of the salvation. God didn't change the physical consequences of sin, but he did deal with the eternal. He dealt with hell, even in this moment, because he said, they're out of the garden. And God was well-planned, even in this moment, to address humanity's greatest need. Our greatest need is salvation. And we see God's work in humanity through this. But I want to I go back and understand our need, the greatest need, because so many times we just don't think we need a Savior. <coughs> And when we, when we face these decisions and choices in our life, I mean, the woman had a choice. The serpent comes, he's tempting her, and she sees the tree in front of her, and she's got choices to make. And every one of us, every day, we make choices. Life is a series of choices. And what we need to understand about this is that God's truth provides a filter to combat the enemy's lies. Because we always have tons of voices coming in. Jesus said in his prayer in John 17, he said, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So we have a filter in God's word that is truth. To combat every one of the enemies. And, and here specifically, this enemy was 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 Satan himself coming through the serpent, tempting. But remember the other three enemies, the other two enemies that I mentioned. We have the, the world, because we live in a world that is constantly telling us how we're to make our choices. And then we have all this conflict inside, and we make choices and constantly make choices. And this this when when she comes to the choice and makes a decision, she sees that she sees that the tree was good for food. Well this is good for food. Oh, and and it's 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 pretty. It's it looks good. So if it looks good, it's gonna taste good. Oh, and then, then if I eat this, then I'm going to be wise. So this is, going to, this is ultimately going to bring fulfillment. This isn't just going to satisfy hunger. This is going to bring fulfillment in my life. I mean, this, this goes into the exact same way that, that the world comes at us in 1 John 2, 16. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, right? The lust of the eyes, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is of the world. That's voices coming in to tell us, here's what you need. Here's the way you need to decide that. Here's the way, and, and so often we look to so many other people to help us make our decisions. Now, the Bible is very clear that there's, there's great counsel, there's great wisdom in counsel, but we've got to get the counsel from the wise so that it's coming from the word of God. When we've got decisions to make, the first question we should ask this is, what does God's word say? And how does God's word lead me in making this decision? I don't have a verse to tell me what curfew should be. I don't have a verse to tell me what what age I should let my daughter date. I don't have this, but I have verses that show me the character of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and how we are shaped in his image. The fall tarnished that image, but through Christ, he reconciles that image. And so I can begin to make decisions in my life for my family, for my job, for my community, in my church, all of these decisions based on the character and the heart of scripture. Not what the enemy wants to do. Well, I, did God really say that? No, no, God didn't say it that way. He said it this way. No, we've got to be able to filter that. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he came at him with the same temptations because he wanted to be like God. Jesus, you can be like God. Jesus is like, dude, I am God. But how did he combat those temptations? With the word. Not a twisted version of The word. The word. And he attacks God's character through distorting these lies. He'll say anything to get us off truth. And when we get off of that, when we think we'll find our fulfillment in something other than, than what God has for us, uh, we, we invite shame. When we try to fulfill our needs outside of God's will, God's plan, it's going to invite brokenness and shame. And how can I tell you that's true? Because of how many times in my life I end up walking through brokenness and shame. It's that regret, you know? I mean, I've started praying, God, would you give me pre Okay, I'm, when I'm thinking about a decision I'm thinking, hey you know I see you know that fruit's there it looks good you know it's, you know it's probably not going to be that bad you know I mean hey you know this isn't this, this isn't like a, a big moral failure god I'm just like i'm just I'm just wanting to respond to somebody out of anger and let them know what what they really need to deal with and you know but but when I start to face that then then I, and I say something out of my out of my flesh and then immediately I forget it so I ask God would you give me pregret? so when I start thinking about what I want to say would you help me understand? Understand how I'm gonna feel after I say it. You know, would you let me think about three steps down the road sometimes? Because what we see with with Adam and Eve is that when they when they took on the lie of the serpent and their eyes were open and they were like going to be like God and knowing something you don't know. They didn't find the fulfillment that they were hoping they would find. They found the shame. They found the brokenness. And the problem was seeking fulfillment in someone or something else in our work, in sex life, in money, all the things, in our family, in our kids' activities, and trying to live vicariously through anyone else except taking our life is what we eventually see. And we see the nakedness, we see the brokenness, we see the shame, we get defensive about our decisions, and then we start running and hiding from God, and God's constantly going, where are you? Where are you? Because his grace never stops chasing us. And when we sin, there are consequences to those sins. There's internal consequences. There's the guilt. There's the shame. There's external consequences. You know, people go, well, Jesus forgives me, so, so why do I have to pay for this penalty? You know what? I mean, I mean, I, you, I sit with so many people and the, like your marriage is falling apart because you're continuing to walk in willful disobedience to God and in sin. And yet you're wondering why divorce papers are being filed. Well, ask God to forgive me. God dealt with the eternal consequences of sin on the cross, but he says there's still actions and responses to our behavior. I mean, we go to Romans 8, 1, and we're like, well, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Yeah, but there's still some consequences to our stupidity. And we find ourselves in this cycle, and ultimately because of our brokenness and shame, our greatest need is to be reconciled with a holy God. The nature of humanity is brokenness and in need of a savior. And God's challenged me on this in my, my prayer life lately. That, that you know, I, I, we are to bring our needs before God. You know, he says, man, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, that's presenting our request to God with thanksgiving. But God challenged me. He said, hey, instead of asking for that thing you want, would you ask me to fulfill your greatest need? And so often I just skip over that. I'm like God, I need you. To, I need you to open the door for this thing. I need you to help me do this. I need. I need your grace here because I, I I lost it on in traffic the other day, and I was just man. I was. I mean, God, I just. I need you to cover my shame. I I can't cover it myself. I, you know, God. I, would you heal this person? God, would you would you help us in vision? Would you help with provision? That God, would you give me wisdom in our finances? Would you give me wisdom to lead your church? And God's like, hey, would you just ask me to fulfill your greatest need? Our greatest need is Him. And and, and this this beautiful picture. I mean, that that when when. When we see what God does with the condemnation declared on creation in Genesis 3, we see the fulfillment of everything in Christ. Because in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In Christ, he does remove that condemnation. And that internal condemnation is, look at what Jesus does. He replaces our guilt with his innocence through the covering of his blood. Look at the external condemnation. He paid the eternal price, or he becomes the foundation for my relationships and my work. That was the external judgment for for the woman, for Eve. Your desire is going to be for your husband, and you're going to to constantly want that fulfilling and, and connection with him, and he's going to be chasing other things. Christ becomes the foundation of our relationships. Christ becomes the foundation of our work. And we don't spend our career figuring out what do I want to do when I grow up and and trying to find the next job. We go, Jesus, you're the foundation for my work and you've brought me into this place for a purpose and I'm asking you to reveal that purpose in me and through me. And for the eternal consequences, the eternal condemnation, he paid the price for my sin on the cross and secured my eternity. And when I sin, the Holy Spirit comes in and he doesn't bring condemnation, he brings conviction because that's the grace of God going, Matt, where are you? This, this, stop hiding in this. Let, let, come out here, get it uncovered. I, mean, I, I, had to, I had to go to the hospital several years ago. And, you know, there, there's no, I mean, there, you're just going to tell you this straight up. I mean, when they come in the room, they're going to want to see everything. And my biggest prayer laying in the hospital room was, please do not let a Creek nurse walk into this room. <laughs> Heather's like, they see it all before, but not their pastors. <laughs> do you realize that God's seen it all? Do you realize God knows it all? And do you realize even in that, God still loves you? He just says, stop hiding. It's the prodigal son moment, right? Remember Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, he goes to his father and he says, hey, I, I now consider you dead to me, dad. So give me my money and I'm out of here. That's exactly what he's communicating when he says, give me my inheritance now. So he takes off and he goes and squanders the money on himself. He's living for self. He's living as himself is his own God now. And he comes to the end of that. He finds himself in a pig pen, starving. And he looks and he says, Ah, oh, if I could just eat what the pigs are eating, I'm so hungry. And he had nothing. But when he came to himself, verse 17 says, That's when everything changed. He still had a father that stepped out on the porch every day looking for his son. But when he came to himself, some translations, when he came to his senses, when he reconciled, I can't do this anymore. I can't fight this anymore. I can't keep trying to work this out anymore. I can't keep trying to cover my own life. I, I'm at the end of my excuses and my defensiveness on, on, on who to blame. And ultimately, I'm here because of my choices. And, and man, he, my dad, Even the servants in his house were treated better, fed better, lived better than this. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to him and just say, dad, I was wrong. I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. And I'm coming before you to own it. And if you'll just take me in as a servant, he said, that's what I'm going to do. And there's a lot of people that get close enough to the grace of God. They get to the end of themselves and they close to the grace of God and say, this is what I'm gonna do. But they never do it. But he set himself for that journey. And as he's walking onto the family property and the father looking out, the son who was dead, he sees him far off. The father ran to him. He didn't say, oh, come on. Oh, it's going to be a conversation when you get before me, son. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to tell you what's up. I'm going to tell you how wrong you were. That's not how God treats us. It says that this father full of dignity ran to his son. And the son starts going through his speech. Father, forgive me. I've sinned against heaven and sinned against you. And here's what the father says. Stop. Stop. Go get my robe. Get some clean clothes on my son. Where's your ring? Go get my ring. You have my authority because you are my son. He says this, hey, hey, see that cow out there? You, go slaughter it because we have having barbecue tonight. Because this son of mine who was dead is now alive. That's the grace of God. That's the well-planned nature of our great God who in this moment of fall and shame and guilt and brokenness reached out with the hands of Christ on a cross who runs to us that if we will just humble ourselves before him and say, Father, I need your grace instantly. It's there. But you got to respond. And are we going to respond like the rest of humanity? Out of our brokenness, out of our shame, out of our guilt, our defensiveness, of our trying to figure it out ourselves, are we going to just simply throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and say, have mercy on me? Father, we come to you. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive us as I pray collectively for our church body. Forgive us when we've tried to be like you. Forgive us for trying to cover our past and our decisions and our everything with ourselves and with our work. Forgive us for hiding from you. Forgive us for falling into the trap of the blame game. And God, we just come before you right now. We humble ourselves before you. And we just ask you for that grace. We ask you for your covering. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to move in us, to draw us to conviction as you gently whisper to us, where are you? And that we would just respond, Father, we're right here. And we're broken and we're hurting and we need you. We need you. That's it. We need you. So, would you give us what our greatest need is? You. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for reconciling with us. May we live as a reflection of your grace and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I love you guys.